You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at Hello, good morning, Saints of Redemption Olds. Uh, as Josh said, my name's Kyle. I'm a member here of the church. I am a husband to my wife, Kristen, and a father of uh, four energetic kids that are usually running around here uh, pretty crazily. Uh, happy to be standing here underneath the Word of God today, uh, bringing you guys the Word of God. Uh, children, you guys can now be dismissed to your classes. We'll see you afterwards. Well, today I have the pleasure of continuing a series in the book of Romans uh, that we've been going through over the last month and a half. Uh, Previous sermons preached by Paul Vickers and Brian McIver would bring us to the point where we are today. Uh, If you guys have been here for those sermons, you'll be familiar with where we stand and uh, where this discourse by Paul uh, to the church in Rome has brought us. Today we're going to look specifically at Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Uh, We've missed a gap of preaching in there, so we're going to pick up in the text at verse 12. And then we're going to carry on down through there. Um, So let's take a look together into God's Word. If you guys don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew uh, somewhere around you. It's important that we have God's Word before us. As other faithful men have set up here, I don't have anything for you today. I haven't brought you anything new. Uh, We should be looking and examining into God's Word to see uh, what it has for us and what the Holy Spirit's going to bring us today. Uh, So let's open that up to... Romans 8, verse 12. Uh, If you guys don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take this one as a gift to you. If you guys need a better Bible, you know someone who needs a Bible, uh, take that Bible. It's a gift to you guys. It's It's a blessing from the church that we have here. Chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
I've titled today's sermon, The Gospel Guarantee. So as we look into this text, we're going to see together that there are certain promises and there are certain guarantees that are made by Paul to the saints of Christ, his main audience, which is the Church of Rome at that time. But we'll see that these truths are still relevant to us as believers in our Lord Christ Jesus today. So while I was considering this text and processing the information in it and that there are promises here, I got thinking to myself, so what in our life is guaranteed? Well, if you guys know the common saying that we have of this time, the only things in life that are guaranteed are death and taxes. <laughs> so when we hear those things, we should be examining them in our Bibles. So what does the Bible say about this? Well, the prophet Elijah was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind in 2 Kings chapter 2. He didn't see death. Furthermore, in Genesis 5, while listing the descendants of Adam, Enoch was said to have walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So death apparently isn't even guaranteed. Then what is? So how about something like our constitutional rights that are listed in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, guaranteed by our government. That obviously sounds like it's very secure. It's also said to be the highest document of law in the land in which we live in, in this country. But sadly, even that's been proven, that those rights are not guaranteed, and nor do we have inalienable rights that are protected. So I use these examples essentially as a uh, brief intro into how we can identify by the country of our citizenship and by the established laws and rights of these countries. What if, again, we looked into our Bible and we saw that instead of identifying closely with our country of citizenship, instead we identify as who we truly are, and that is children of the most God, and that our citizenship is truly found in heaven. And if our citizenship is truly found in heaven and not here on earth, then who are we? What does that mean for our future here on earth and into eternity? Also, what has Christ guaranteed us in this life? And what has Christ guaranteed for our future in eternity? Well, today we're going to see that we are children of God. That's a guarantee. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And because of this, we will suffer, but we are also going to share in his future glory. Let's bow our heads and pray. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here today and rejoice in who you are. We shout praises for you, sing worship to you, and just, just stand and revel in you, Father. Open our ears today. Open our eyes to see and our hearts to listen, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Clothe us in your righteousness today, Lord. And give us grace and mercy renewed. We pray this in your mighty name. 
Lord Jesus. So let's consider our first point, our guaranteed identity. So let's focus in on verse 17 here and take a look at what Paul says about this guaranteed identity that we have. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In this verse here, we have a really nice roadmap of what we're going to cover today and also what the guarantee of this identity is. The Apostle Paul states that we are heirs of God. This bold statement of truth is built up from our previous verses, which is shown to us by the use of and if children. Paul uses basic logic here to come to this conclusion. So let's take a look and see where it ends up. And if children of God, then heirs of God. And if we're heirs of God, then we are fellow heirs with Christ. Let's take a second and let that sink in before we carry on. Fellow heirs with Christ. Believers, this is our identity. And we can be sure of this. How can we be sure of this? Look at verse 16. The Holy Spirit himself in us bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Our identity as fellow heirs with Christ is guaranteed by the seal of the Holy Spirit in us. So turn with me to John 14, verses 15 and 18. Let's take a look in there. It says... If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here, Jesus himself, the man who doesn't lie, is guaranteeing our adoption as children of God by the seal of the helper. It's a capital H helper. It's a proper name. The Holy Spirit. Christians, this is who you are. You've been given the seal of the Most High King. You are a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be wondering, if I'm an heir, then what am I to receive in this inheritance as an heir that I'm, I'm going to be getting? 
Well, generally, an inheritance is full of, of wealth. Uh, it's full of family heirlooms, full of some sought-after furniture pieces or even something that is going to sit on your mantle. I think a, a clock is a, is a family heirloom in my <laughs> family line. Uh, or even mom's treasured jewelry is pretty sought after. So et cetera, et cetera. But this isn't one of those inheritances that we're going to receive. Let's say for a moment that our father was not a good father. He's jealous, he's greedy, and he wants to squander all of his riches. They're his. He can do with them what he wants. Your inheritance that would be left for you would be spent. It would be nothing more than an empty bank account. Uh, it might even possibly be a debt to be paid or debt to be owed, a uh, debt that could be unbearable to you. This is what we deserve. This is what we should be receiving. Nothing. But thankfully, by God's mercy and grace, that's not the case. Instead, we have a good, good father. We have been adopted by a father who's faithful. He is the great gift giver. He is kind. He is merciful. He is just and perfect. He is slow to anger and steadfast in his love. And instead of receiving nothing or even debt to be paid, he has paid it all for us by the blood of his son, Jesus. Believers, this fact alone should drop us down to our knees in worship and holy reverence of what has been done and at what cost this has come by, this inheritance, by the blood of Jesus. We have no ransom left owing. We have no debts that haven't been paid in full. The wrath of God has been fully emptied on Jesus. Instead now, as children of God, we inherit everything. Do we consider this daily? Do we wake up each day, bow down in reverence and humility and thank our Father in heaven for what he has done for us and what he has accomplished? Do we live as if we have a new identity? An identity that has a citizenship card that reads Kyle Kuzik, Son of the Most High God, future citizen of heaven? Those are the realities. What if I told you this inheritance comes at a certain guaranteed cost? <laughs> well, that's, that's what the world would call it, is a cost. As Christians, we call it a privilege. <laughs> Point two, our guaranteed suffering. Let's look again into verse 17. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here at the start, we have a very interesting word. The word used here is provided. A different way to say this word would have been since or if indeed. So this word in the Greek is iper, and it carries a connection between the inheritance that is guaranteed to us, but also the guarantee of the experience of suffering that we're all going to endure. Believers, because we are fellow heirs with Christ, we are going to suffer. The word iper, or the word provided here, makes that simple statement that our suffering is guaranteed. Let's turn back again a little while in history here and take a quick look at what our Lord Jesus has endured in his suffering. We're going to go to Matthew 26. We're going to hang out there for a little while. Uh, If you guys just want to jot these verses down, you can go back to them afterwards. I'm going to read through a little bit of them. Matthew 26, verses 3 through 4. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. I repeat, arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Here we see that Jesus is plotted against He's betrayed by high officials. He's rejected by society. And all of this with the possibility of his eventual murder. Matthew 26, 47 through 50. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Again, Jesus is rejected by common people and by high officials. He's betrayed by someone even extremely close to him. And he even still calls him friend. Matthew 26, 57 through 62. Here we see that at least two false witnesses came up against him. There's lies and treachery. Matthew 26, 67. Then they spit in his face and struck him and some slapped him. Here he is mocked and beaten. Matthew 27, verse 26. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified scourged. Other translations will read whipped or beaten. So I pulled a small excerpt from a book called A Journey Through Early Christian Rome to help us better understand what Jesus may have endured during this. During scourging, a person was stripped naked, tied to a post, and then flogged across the backs and buttocks by Roman soldiers. 
This excessive whipping would weaken the victim, causing deep wounding, severe pain and bleeding. Frequently, the victim fainted during the procedure and sudden death was not uncommon. The victim was then usually taunted and then forced to carry the pataboam, which is the crossbar of the cross, tied across his shoulders to the place of execution. We know this to be true because in the account of the crucifixion of Christ in John chapter 19, it reads, So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Then in the culmination of his mocking and embarrassment, Jesus was crucified. Matthew 27, 35 through 44 displays this grim scene. And you would think that death by crucifixion would be the end. But even as he hung on that cross, beaten and near dead, he was mocked and derided by people passing by. How can a man endure such torture? Rejection, betrayal, mockery, and humiliation without ever raising a finger to sin or harbor a wicked or evil thought against his enemies. For starters, he was both God and man. It is him and him alone that could bear the full wrath of God. But Jesus also had a helper, the Holy Spirit in him. Believers, we could never endure such an experience like this. We could never bear the full wrath of God upon us. It's impossible for us. But there may come a time when we could be confronted with an experience that would seem so daunting to us that we want to buckle at the knees, just give up or or throw in the towel, just be done with it. Or we might be stretched beyond what we think are the maximum limits of what we're capable of enduring. Seems like everything we go through is is tougher and tougher and tougher. In these moments, first of all, we need to remember that this is a privilege to experience such trials. This is the hyper or the provided word that we saw. The guarantee as fellow heirs with Christ. And we also need to remember that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit in us during these times, bringing us through these sufferings. All for the glory of Christ. And he's the same Holy Spirit that seals us as heirs with our destination set before us in heaven. 
believers, no matter what it is that you're facing today. And this can be a huge list of things. It could be overwhelming anxiety. This could be the possible termination from a job. This could be division among your family. This could be division among members in church. This could be a pornography addiction. It can be an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction. This could be same-sex attraction. It could be debt, loneliness, fits of anger. The list can go on and on and on and on. The point here is best stated in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't think for one moment that you are alone and what you're experiencing or going through is unique to you. Jesus can sympathize with you. And the best part is he already knows what you're going through. So seek the Lord our God in prayer in your times of need and count it as a privilege to suffer with him because this reinforces that you are his. Now that we can have such a great confidence that Christ sympathizes with us in our sufferings and the Spirit helps us in our times of need, let's look now at our present sufferings compared to the future glory that will be revealed to us. Our guaranteed glory. Let's look back into verse 18. Pick up from there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. <laughs> so the sufferings of this present time. We all have nice clothes. We've got nice cars 800 channels to choose from and several streaming devices to keep us happy. Food at every corner available to us. We have freedoms that we love to enjoy. Some of us have the love of a spouse next to us or the joy of children at our sides. Some of us get to enjoy the pleasures of grandchildren to enjoy or friends to have tea with. Let's be honest, most of us currently live in a state of comfort and pleasure. And please don't get me wrong, some of the things listed here truly are simple joys in life and a blessing 
from the Lord. But some of these things here in the list, and many others, are distractions to seeing the suffering that some of us here today are actually enduring. My uncle, who's spent quite a bit of time in ministry, uh, he's also a a clinical anxiety therapist, uh, once told me when I was talking to him to uh, take a moment and look around me at church when I sit down. What do I see? And usually you see smiling faces, people are dressed up real nice, generally happy people. So instead of seeing that, think of that probably most of the people around me are struggling in a very real way, in a very desperate way. We all carry burdens of some sort. We all have past scars from sins long ago, or maybe not so long ago. (laughs) Perhaps we are experiencing some sort of division among our family, whether that be immediate family or extended family. Maybe some of us have experienced the loss of a family member or a friend, a child, whether that be expected or unexpected. There are marriages in our churches that struggle from one partner's use of pornography and lust. There is same-sex attraction that's wormed its way into the church, and it continues to try to destroy our framework of faith. There are some of us who are mocked and ostracized by our peers at work because of our faith. And if we're all honest with each other, the last 20 months have brought us no lack of hurt, pain, and suffering. People are at their wit's end in loneliness. Depression is at an all-time peak. The anxiety of death and sickness looms around every corner. We face division among our society. We even face division in some of our churches, churches who love God. There are believers who are facing real job loss. And this is just locally. This isn't even globally things that people are experiencing across the world. We hide and harbor those feelings of pain sometimes when we encounter other believers. Why do we do this? Today, let's stop for a minute and take some time to be real with each other. Stop pitying ourselves and internalizing our pain and stop hiding our emotions. And let's stop finding our joy in temporal things. Because in doing this, we call our suffering a cost instead of the privilege that it truly is. Brothers and sisters, we live in a broken world. And there is no doubt about that. 
And it will remain broken until the day that Christ returns. The only hope for this broken world is Christ. And our true peace and joy can be found only in Christ taking our sins on the cross and comforting us through the Holy Spirit as we are experiencing these sufferings. The reality of the matter is that we have endured these sufferings and pains in a very real way. We've physical, mental scars from them, and we're living through them and experiencing them. We have felt the heavy weight and reality of these sufferings. And we press on through them. And sometimes we do crumble under the weight of them. We allow them to drive us to places of great despair. We've also allowed them to push us to areas that perhaps we need to repent of. But just as we have physically endured these sufferings and pains in a very real way, we are going to also experience the glory of God in a very real way. Let me say this again. Just as we have physically endured these sufferings in a real way, we are going to experience the glory of God in a very real way. And physical way. The glory that is going to be revealed to us. God's guaranteed glory as fellow heirs with Christ. This glory that's going to be imparted upon us is the great inheritance that I was speaking of before. This is the guarantee to us as children of God. Verse 18, the glory that is to be revealed to us. Revealed to us. Let's look at that for a moment. Revealed in the Greek is apocalyptomai. So this is the state. But the verb to be revealed is apocalypto. So if that sounds familiar to anyone, it's because it is. We use the English word apocalypse, although we use it for different meanings in certain extent. Apocalypse comes from apocalypto, which means to be or become made known to the public. Revealed, especially information that was previously known only to a few people and that was meant to be kept secret. Christians, the endless and spectacular glory of God is going to be made manifest in us, through us, and all around us. We're going to experience the glory of God in a way that has never been experienced before as we are transformed into a state of blessedness 
through being brought into the likeness of Christ in the great day of our glorification. That's awesome. The Lord is not going to need to hide us in the crevice of a mountain anymore. He's not going to need to hide our face from his light as he did before. We are going to be standing. Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to be standing in the presence of the Almighty God, communing with him, worshiping him, bowing down before him in his spectacular light. That's real. This is going to be real. The amount of endured loss is not even going to be a thought in our minds or a consideration on our hearts. As we bask in the revealed glory of God because there is no more brokenness and there will be no more pain. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And as for our bodies, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Believers, this is good news. The day of the Lord is coming. And with each deeper pain that we experience and endure by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get closer to the day of salvation, the day of the Lord. So let's put our hope and trust in him who is the perfecter of our faith and the guarantor of our common glory. Because we are children of God and heirs with Christ. And because of this, we will suffer with him, but also share in his future glory. Church, let's leave here today living our lives with our true identity. Let's not be afraid to step out of our comfort zones a little bit 
and welcome some much needed suffering. <laughs> Let's not live as though the fear of death still has a sting. For we know that it is far better for us to die than to live. But we're all still alive because we have the current duty to proclaim Christ. But if this doesn't describe you today, and you're not in the family of of God, then you carry heavy guilt and weight that you do not need to. On the day that I committed myself to the Lord, I was a doubtful man sitting in a chair in a very small church in Australia. I I think there were a dozen of us. But I heard this passage and it, it changed my life. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Throw your burdens down at his feet today. Repent of your sins and believe in Christ. And prepare yourself for his burden. It is light. For God will adopt you as a son and grant you the riches of being a fellow heir with Christ. This is the gospel guarantee. We're guaranteed a new identity. We're guaranteed to suffer. We've been guaranteed a helper. But through all of it, we're guaranteed to be partakers in the future glory that will be revealed to us. Church, I'm going to leave you with another small thought. A quick story of a faithful man. His name was David Livingstone. He was a man who gave his life to serve Christ in the exploration of Africa for the sake of creating access to the gospel. So he was the first European to cross the width of Africa, and he was the first to set his eyes on Victoria Falls, which he named for his queen. He also laid his eyes on the horrors of the East African slave trade, and he devoted himself to be, with passion, an abolitionist. Here's what Livingstone said to the Cambridge students. Focusing on the last sentence. The last sentence is profound. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity? the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind and a bright hope 
of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Church, let this be our heart as well. As we look to the guarantees of this life and eternity. Our guaranteed identity in Christ is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our guaranteed suffering is with him, but also our guaranteed hope in the glory that will be revealed to us.